It's just a thousand year emo phase, bro. Hi everyone and welcome. This is the fourth episode in our Lord of the Rings Reread 2.0. We're doing chapters 6 through 10 of book 2 of the Fellowship of the Ring today. So we are slowly slowly um, going through these books, but we're getting there. Um, as usual, spoilers for everything in, in Tolkien's universe, basically. Uh, but I don't think that's much of an issue anymore. Um so I'm Mary, also known as Nymeria, basically only in this community. Um, <laughs> and uh, today I'm joined by Adam. Hey, this is Adam, also known as Drown Snow. We also have Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, also known as Iwendio. Um, also Matt. Hey, Varley on something. <laughs> and finally, Zach. Hey, I'm Alias in every place. I just have people call me Alias at all times. It, it makes sense. Also, I'm Zach. <laughs> um, I should put you first. Um, I guess not first, between Adam and Alex. Anyway, um, okay, nice. so so we we have five chapters to go through today. So I guess I will just start with the, the summary for the first of these which is Lothlorien. So here we go, and please, uh, sorry in advance for any pronunciation issues. <laughs> I think I still haven't figured out quite how to say Gandalf, which is weird, because I should, but it's fine. So with Gandalf lost, Aragorn assumes command of the company. Hopeless, though they all feel, the ranger leads them away from the Misty Mountains and toward, toward the elvish forests of Lothlorien often simply called Lorien, which would be easier. Um, stopping briefly to tend to Frodo's injury, and Sam, don't forget Sam, um, Aragorn is amazed to, to find Bilbo's coat of mithril, which, which saved Frodo from his spear wound in Moria. Moving on, the company comes to a deep well of crystal clear water. Legolas and Aragorn are relieved to arrive at Lorien, but Boromir is wary. Um, among men, the name of the forest is surrounded by strange rumors. Legolas tells the others of the history of Lothlorien. Sorry, sorrow came in dark days when the dark dwarves, ugh, come on, when the dwarves awakened the evil in Moria that then spread out into the hills and threatened Lorien. Gimli bristles at this mention. The company enters the woods uh, as night falls, but is suddenly stopped by a group of elves, led by one named Haldir, who have been watching from the trees. Luckily, the elves recognize Legolas as kindred, I mean, yeah, he's an elf, of course, and have also heard something of Frodo's quest, um, so they bring the strangers up to their th tree platforms. After night falls, a company of orcs passes under them, chasing after the fellowship, but the creatures are waylaid by the elves. Frodo and the others then see another strange creature, a small crouching shape with pale eyes, but it slips away in the night, into the night. 
In the morning, the company walks further into Lorien, reaching the river Silverlood. At one point, the elves tell Gimli that he must be blindfolded so that he does not know where he is walking, especially because the dwarves and elves have not gotten along since the dark days. Gimli strongly objects, and the dispute nearly comes to blows. Thinking quickly, Aragorn demands that all the company, even Legolas, be blindfolded. Gimli sense, so all the members of the Fellowship are led blindfolded into the nath or heart of Lorien. Once they arrive, Halder receives word that the Lady Galadriel, Queen of the Forest, has decreed that the Fellowship blindfold may be removed. When the blindfolds are taken off, the strangers behold a forest that seems to belong to another age. Its trees and flowers surpass the beauty of any other growing things, and the lights and colors are come on, ethereal golds and greens. They are at Cairn Amroth, a hill with a double ring of trees that is, in Aragorn's words, the heart of Elvendon um, on earth. Haldir takes Frodo and Sam up to a platform on top of the trees from which they gaze at the enchanted land surrounding them, noticing also the forbidding land beyond. When the hobbits descend, they find Aragorn in a powerful and blissful daydream. All right, <laughs> that was a long one. Um, so, uh, well, I had a few points on that chapter, so I guess I, I, I can start. Um, First of all, something I didn't say in the previous podcast because I was late in reading. Um, the thing, the fact that Aragorn kind of uh, like he he saw the that Gandalf will would fall in Moria in some way, but he didn't exactly know. Um, which to me is again one of these um, foresight thing that that we have uh, in the Lord of the Rings that's never completely explained or talked about uh after afterwards but it's there because he kind of knew and also they do refer like there's this idea that the end of Gandalf is the end of hope and it's all very very gloomy afterwards uh not so much in 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 Lorien but 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 in the in the fellowship um yeah well, they say like the Numenorians, like uh, where the blood is strong, have uh, special powers, and they say that uh, rangers especially have interesting powers to speak with beasts and birds and stuff. Yeah, it just felt it just feels kind of heavy-handed. I mean, not really, but like the three times they mention Moria uh, before they they get in, um, Argon is like. I warn you, Gandalf, you should not go there. This will be... He doesn't really say this will be the end of you, but there's something very, very strong in his... Uh, yeah. But isn't that kind of bullshit? Like, can't you go into any situation and be like, uh, you're going to be okay. <laughs> or, uh, this ain't going to turn out too good. You might stub your toe, you might die. Anything's right. possible. So, so I know uh, Marie read this off of the uh, wiki... But I thought that they didn't realize that Bilbo, or that Bilbo, that Frodo and uh, Sam were injured until after the uh, mirror mirror. Yes, that's right. I think that's right. Um, maybe the the summary has it the other way around. But yeah, they walked a while before they realized that they were lagging behind. 
feels very really irresponsible to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was the whole point. Like they like yeah. look back and notice like Frodo and Sam are way better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're bleeding. There's a trail of blood behind. Them. <laughs> no. But yeah. <laughs> but one thing I really like about this uh, opening scene is uh, is the uh, mirror mirror of the mountains of Moria. And how it reflects uh, the stars and how it's very dark blue and it reflects the mountains and stars above, even like in broad daylight. Yeah, the whole the imagery in this whole sequence is is gorgeous as we transition from the, the mountains to to Lorien. Yeah, just like the, the the mountain itself, all that. And then the golden trees. I don't know. Do we want to revisit the like, how do you guys rate this? I mean, this is the kind of places like. I don't know if I would want to live here, but it'd be cool to visit kind of thing. Uh, but it's a little inhospitable or just too alien, perhaps, to actually live in. Well, don't you think it's very, like, high fantasy? Like, <laughs> you go from, yeah. like, underneath the mountains to this, like, uh, arboreal paradise. Oh, it's very fantasy. Yeah, it's very overwhelmingly. Like, it's not like the Shire where it's it's sort of, it's obviously strange and fantastic, but it has this familiarity to it as well. This it's definitely it's definitely the most out there. That, I don't know. I think I, I think it would be a little much for me. Yeah, for me I mean, too. Yeah, but like about... instead of having like a Hamptons beach house, I could be like, I'll have a tree house here. <laughs> sure. So that's another thing. Do you, would you guys be able to sleep in a tree? I don't think I could, even if it was like a actual like like the the um. I mean, wood platforms so, they have. So you're very you're siding with the hobbits on this. Yeah, I prefer being close to the ground. <laughs> I think I think if there if there were some railings or stuff like I would feel safe, but um, just the platform probably not. <laughs> so has everyone yeah. here read the Silmarillion? Yeah. Okay, because I I hadn't when I first read this, and I was like, why the fuck is their treehouse this the shape of like the bow of a ship? Like I just didn't understand why. Like that, that kind of like why it would be in the shape shape of the ship up in the tree, like made no sense to me. But I think like once you uh, get the summer, kids no... love boats. Oh yeah, everyone loves boats. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's explored a little bit here where the elves point out that they're kind of jealous of the hobbits that they get to live so close to the sea. Like you get that connection um, the elves have to that. Yeah, but we don't. We don't know because Legolas like spills the beans later that it's like uh, the sea always calls to our people or whatever when he sees the gulls. I think yeah. Every... Yeah. I guess I think in in this chapter and the whole description of of the mountains of of Lorien, everything sounds um, so amazingly beautiful, or at least it sounds like it could be. Like even 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 the mountains and uh, and where they should have come down from Cowdress sounds like actually it can be um, like a sight but um, it feels like and it, it's true in, in all all of the book and books and but I, I specifically um, thought that reading these chapters and further on when they go down the river and, and they see all of the um, yeah the different regions and this thing that uh, the world used to be beautiful, but evil has descended upon it, and and now it's this weird mix of 
uh, beautiful but dangerous and dark at the same time and it differs uh, from like um it's going to be dark in some places and and there's still light in a few places like Rivendell and Lorien but um it very much feels especially every, every time you're with the elves like this is only going down downhill and that it's just everything is fading um but it, it's a it, it it was very strong in these chapters as it should since we are with the elves <laughs> But then you like uh, contrast that against like the natural constant of like Karadras that's always kind of malevolent towards kind of every living thing. I think we don't know. I think like yeah, Aragon wanted to wanted to go through there, and he he, I mean, he didn't say that it would be easy, but I think there was definitely some evil at work specifically against them that might not have been true. Um, of other people or uh before be, way before in time like before before the darkness fell you know um so it just it feels like nature itself is becoming evil as well uh and it doesn't it wasn't necessarily always the case I, well i don't know about that because i think like you um like ungolian and there's other instances where there are these like beings that are not part of like the nat or they're part of the natural world but weren't like created like elves and men and orcs were they're just like you know spirits of like either goodness or malice whether it's like tom bombadil or caradras or ungoliant the spider um they exist in the world like kind of independent from the machinations of the other beings including the Valar. Where there's good, there must be evil. And it, it's interesting actually talking about this because I think Celeborn says this. It might be Galadriel or someone else wise. I can't remember exactly. But someone says in the lore at the end of this chapter, they say, uh, the world is indeed full of peril and in it there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands, love is now mingled with grief. It grows perhaps the greater... Um, so I'm curious what you guys think about this, because when I hear that quote, my response is that there is something that is more beautiful, more meaningful about love mixed with grief than if it was just like all fair and great by itself. Well, isn't that an elvish fucking thing? Like, Perhaps, you know, they, yeah. they keep on crying about like suffering the long defeat and everything of you yeah. know, this like these like unfortunate circumstances of their own making through the like Noldor and Fionor and everything like I I, th I just think that like they like to hang on to that yeah. and try to like you know they're kind of like uh, manic depressants where it's like I'm making this beautiful thing to hide my sense it's just a thousand year emo phase Barbara. right 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 so maybe I just I just I I vibe with the elves and the yeah, no, I'm I'm <laughs> with like, you. I appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, so, Zach. Like, I I do feel like I've it's like something that's always uh, been a part of me, and I'm questioning it now because I'm not sure it's it's that uh, true. But I've always felt like to feel great things um, and very intense feelings uh, in in the positive directions that 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 also comes with uh, just bad feelings and sadness and and nostalgia and and i 
it's always been associated in my mind and I, I don't know if that's the case for everyone if that's something that could change uh, or not but it's like someone told me one day <laughs> you gotta be miserable to be happy too and, and I believed it I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think for me that is a huge part of these books and why I enjoy them it is the it is the things that are fair and the things that are full of grief too like the reason like the strongest enduring feeling i get are and of course i say this on all these podcasts but it's the things that have been lost it's like when we travel down um the river anduin and we see the falls of Roras and all these ruins like i don't know just like the sense of loss and the sense of things that once were and the sense of things being diminished that is the that is the res the most resonant and powerful thing that i feel when i read these books so yeah it's more than just beautiful places it's it's that sense of loss that sense of the things that once more as well i agree and i think gimli says something that that goes kind of well with what i was saying again that's uh <laughs> that's way beyond beyond this chapter but when he says i was prepared for darkness and and suffering but i wasn't prepared for um the the great greatest wound which is leaving this place of of joy and light and i found that just really it just it resonated with me as well well that's uh i mean again this is return of the king where he says you know that just like men to be so like um great in the beginning but then fail in their promises uh it just uh, you know it's a contradictory not contradicts but it's a juxtaposition to the elves and the dwarves that created these big beautiful things that are you know like zach said now we're in ruins and then men will just kind of teeter on you mentioned gimli mary and i i think this is a very significant part of this chapter and the and the couple chapters to follow is the um or we really get a spotlight on the relations between elves and dwarves um and of course this is a antagonistic relationship as helder explains um with the, everything that happened before where they essentially will not allow dwarves and delorean anymore and it is a very rare thing that they let gimli through and gimli himself is very skeptical of this place until he meets galadriel and he's mm -hmm. just awed by her in every sense um so yeah i think that that's a very interesting concept that that um first of all i like that the focus is put on gimli himself as a character but also just the um the estrangement between elves and dwarves and how that could potentially be reconciled. And I think it's a really, there's a really good Haldir line in there where he says, indeed in nothing is the power of the dark Lord more clearly shown than in the estrangement of all those who still oppose him. So in some ways the forces of evil, the forces of darkness are their purpose is to create these divisions and these, these lines in the sand between ostensibly good the good peoples of middle earth yeah i agree and i think gimli is, is one of the characters who's being the most changed by by lorian um i guess and yeah well yeah i mean he's so infatuated with galadriel that he encases her gift into <laughs> pure silver to be like an heirloom of his house it's for now slightly her creepy, hair. but i will let it go <laughs> yeah, i'm just gonna let it go that's all I'll say on that. just, okay that's the thing that happened but like it it echoes what um aragon was saying when boromir um 
doesn't want to enter Lothlorien, he's like, um, no one is going to leave unchanged. Uh, no one can, can go through Lorien and leave unchanged, basically. And I think that's very true of of Gimli, and that's true also of Boromir, but not in a good way. And I think um, him not wanting to go into Lorien is, is one of the first moments where Argon tells him that only evil has something to fear there. Um, so you're evil. Uh, <laughs> and and it, it, it's, uh, it's only getting worse uh, from, yeah. from there. Indeed, yeah, you get. Well, I don't, I don't think Boromir's evil. I think he's no, ne- yeah, <laughs> stressed out and is succumbing to the allure and power of the ring. Like, it's more of a transition. Nearly to, evil. Uh, not like a person. Nearly evil. <laughs> Mostly evil. Uh, no, I think he's not evil, right? But he is susceptible to those dark forces that that I was just talking about. That Halder was saying, where they can twist his mind and his perspective is warped to the point where he would see Lorien as a dangerous place um, as a, as a uh, evil thing would. Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of fucking uppity of the elves to say that after, uh, you know, it's just, they're only there because they succumb to the same kind of like, uh, True <laughs> like they're like, we've been through this. We see it when we know it, when we see it now, <laughs> who knows better than the elves, <laughs> what it, what it is like to fall. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, so does I do. Anyone know how to pronounce how the elves say shush? It's like Y R R C H. It's not. I did not know that. Y R R C H. What? Where is it? When they're up in the flat and they hear the orcs coming and the elves go yurch. No, that's the that's the elvish name for for orc, isn't it? I believe it's. That's about right. I think it's the it's the it's the word for for orc in, in Elvish because I think Legolas says it um, later. No, that's not. Let's be schooled, Matt Burley. I'm 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 quite sure he says it later, and the the like he read it as orc. Boom. Yeah, I believe it is. No way. Yeah. Shut up. Well, which doesn't really answer your question on. How do we pronounce it? But <laughs> but I would say it 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 yeah or Sounds with a with with some German in it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I guess it is orc. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Boom. Well, you guys. Are... <laughs> I love it. So uh, to go back to Boromir, I I do not think he is evil uh, yet uh, or at all actually um uh, yeah, he's, he's not but um my point was that um this is the first like indication of his probable path and to me there's also like the um hope that it might not go this way because like he enters Lothlorien and you can have the hope that it's going to change him or push him in the in, in the other direction and it's not what happens and that yeah well I mean the thing is like Boromir's heart and his loyalty is to Minas Tirith and Gondor 
Whereas like Sam is tempted in the same way, but his loyalty is to Frodo. So he gets to say, no, like we'll let this destruction happen to the Shire because I have to stand by Frodo. Like Boromir, Galadriel, like, um, you know, tempts him with the, with the possibility of saving Gondor by using the ring. And that's like, what other path does he have? I don't think he has an alternative. Yeah, I don't think the perspective we get in the books fully lets us in on the desperate straits that uh, Boromir is experiencing, like the the true feeling that everything that he has spent his whole life defending is about to be destroyed and taken away from him. And he will, he genuinely feels that. And of course, his thoughts have been warped and twisted by the ring as they, as everyone's is. Um, but even so, like you really get... I mean, again, we don't fully appreciate this, but just trying to fully understand it from his point of view, I think you can really appreciate that he does feel that this is the only recourse. Yeah. Yeah, and and he's also battling, like, the, well, I was going to be the hero, it's up to me, but now it may be up to Aragorn, so, okay, I'll follow Mm, Aragorn, and then, like, later he'll be like, well, if not Aragorn, why not Boromir? Why not, why wouldn't I be the captain of men that could save the Gondor? Okay, question. Should we read the other summaries or just talk about the bunch of chapters like we've been doing? Because we we kind of uh, (laughs) uh, quickly uh, left the bounds of this one. True, we did again. (laughs) (laughs) Not together in my my memory. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can assume that everyone uh, knows what happens. (laughs) But yeah. So... So sorry, I interrupted the conversation there. <laughs> well, if we're going to the mirror of Galadriel, um, I, I, there's so much like unintentional comedy in this chapter to me. Like when Gimli in the in the hall professes the glory and beauty of Galadriel, there's just like an awkward silence. <laughs> like even in the book, it remarks like there was a long silence like right after. He says that. <laughs> and I'm just like picturing that in my head. Yeah, all the elves in the background, like, mumbling, like, rrr, 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 like, giving yeah, side glances and stuff like that. He can't do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> another moment of comedy uh, is when uh, Celeborn says to Aragorn um, that it's been 38 years since he came here before, and those years lie heavy on you. Like, you look old, dude. <laughs> and I thought that dude, was a very elvish thing thing to say <laughs> and, and a bit harsh and then he says but the end is near and i think it's meant it's meant to say um like the end of suffering one way or another like either you will die or we're saved but it also sounds like but you're also gonna die soon yeah that doesn't sound very nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i guess uh, you know that's another thing about like uh things fading away like everyone all the elves kind of realize that you know the fate of the ring will really determine what's happening with them so they know like you know this is it this is a pivot point I guess that's probably nice to know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that depends. Yeah, especially if you've been like fighting the long defeat, like finally, fucking sweet release, get it over with. Right. Yeah. For elves, it's especially nice. Um, there's another one, like when they go back to the pavilion, and it describes Aragorn like just collapsing on a couch and immediately falling asleep. I don't know. I just find that 
that idea very funny. That he's like, I'm so filled with grief, I'm gonna sleep this off, and he just immediately <laughs> conks out. <laughs> Well, like he's uh, like I know uh, guys that were in like the Marines and the Army and stuff like that, and like somehow that like there's always someone that can sleep through or right. after just about fucking anything, and yeah. like always holds everyone else in awe because no matter like how exhausted they are or like what they're going through or like what stress they're under, like this one fucking guy can always just knock off and fall asleep. Yeah, I'm jealous of the ability to just immediately pass out and recharge your batteries. I wish I had that power. One yeah. other one is when they actually go down to the mirror and talk to Galadriel, and and Sam sees the uh, future for the Shire. <laughs> he like he like threatens to throw hands with anyone who messes with the Shire. He's like, I'm gonna go fuck anyone up who messes with it. Essentially, is what he says, which I loved. Just yeah, he's like, there's Ted cutting down trees where he's not supposed to. I'll show him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found that funny too. Like the way it's it's it, it is funny because everyone and everything in in this chapter is is speaking so um kind of carefully and in a, in kind of a high language, you know. And and there you you have you have someone like Sam who from time to time is gonna go back to the hey don't cut my trees <laughs> and I, I I find that hilarious as well. Or here's part of Gandalf's obituary, like, <laughs> let's throw in the fireworks verse. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, just so, like, simple and pleasant and, like, it's just nice. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think, too, and this is something that I think is underappreciated, is, you know, generally speaking, as we view elves, we see them as these kind of, like, emotionless alien creatures that don't feel human or whatever in any fashion. I think we get some here that I think is good, like in the in the uh, Lothlorien chapter, Legolas is actually kind of pissed that he has to blindfold himself. Like he's like, why would I, an elf, have to do this? This is so crazy, which I think is actually nice to see because he's not just like stoically taking everything in stride at all times. Um, and I think that's the first sign that there's a little more to his character than just being an elf, which I like. Yeah. And then when at the mirror, when when Sam and Frodo are talking to Galadriel, she's a lot warmer than I think that we see her as like, there's a moment where like Sam is saying something and he's like saying like, this will happen or like is not. And she like repeats him in like an affectionate joking way where she's like smiles and says like, like is not like, I think that that kind of stuff isn't really noted as much. Um, but I think it's there. And I think that for both those characters, there's, there's more to them than just being like the powerful distant elf. Yeah, and he has a really great line, and I'm going to fucking butcher it, but he's like, you know, she's as merry as any, like, hobbit lass, but, like, also you could break apart on her, like, a ship on rocks or something like that. Yeah, two sides of it, yeah. Yeah, I agree, Zach, that this, in this chapter we see, yeah, Galadriel was was an interesting one, because she's very silent a lot of the times. Uh, and I was kind of um, surprised even because it's not very clear, at least in my mind, this was Galadriel's domain and Caliborn is like the added piece, you know? Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, right? Because in the movie, Caliborn is literally a hanger-on, like he doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Almost. 
So it definitely positions Gladriel very clearly as the one in charge, and she certainly is the more important of the two. She has, as she shows, she has the ring of adamant. She has one, yeah. one of the rings, which is very clearly like she's the one with the most power here. But yeah, and I'm not saying that there needs to be a hierarchy between the two of them. The, the feminist in me wishes that there weren't wasn't any hierarchy, but um, it it is less clear uh, in the in the book, I guess, than in the movie. Um, yeah, how they interact and who, I guess, is is in charge. Maybe. Well, Celeborn is a dark elf, so um, just by like the hierarchy of elves, you know, uh, the whole reason why why Galadriel formed Lothlorien was in honor of Lorien. Well, the Valars that, like, back in Valinor, they they hung out in Lorien's gardens, and then she came back to Middle-earth, like, with Feanor, but, like, not because it, she wanted to reclaim the Cimmerils, she wanted to enjoy Middle-earth as she once knew it. Um, So that kind of sets her apart, but she's seen, like, the light of the trees and everything, and that, that makes her one of the high elves. Yeah. I... I... That- did you yeah. did you reread the Silmarillion uh, not long ago, or is this yeah, all just lore bombs on our head. Yeah, <laughs> is this just boom, all boom. in your head? <laughs> um, no, I actually haven't read the Silmarillion in a long time, but I read it. I, I read it many times in the past. Impressive. <laughs> I will say, like, just on the face of how presentation works in the this these chapters, I do still view Gladriel as as clearly the the higher one in in a way even Celeborn being the one who speaks more kind of reinforces that because like he's the mouthpiece where she hangs back and like only says the most important things like I think that's how I view it like it's not like Celeborn's the more important because he's the one talking but because he's he can like handle the pleasantries etc you know so that's how I think of it yeah I think I agree Although, um, even with elves, uh, it is the women making the clothes, I noted. Like, she and right. her handmaidens, um, yeah, made the cloaks that they all wear. And, yeah, that bothers me. That's fine. <laughs> well, isn't it nice that she gets, like, like into that? Like, she's not just like, oh, yeah, yeah. my... my, my servants made these for you like yeah i agree i agree it is nice like if you see it that way uh it, it is it is very um it is meaningful and it it brings me even more meaning to this gift um but yeah it's just a kind of little things but it doesn't really bother me it's just something that i note now yeah that's um that's like a reoccurring theme with uh, what the elves do is that they pour themselves into their work, whatever that is, you know, um, and that's why, you know, everything is kind of fantastic, but also like very representative of their own culture, which is what Tolkien was trying to do as he's writing these books and creating these histories that like, you know, they're all for <laughs> his made up languages to give history to them. So um, everything needs to be very, very exact and precise as to how the elves would refer to something that they love that they made. And that's why like everything has like 9,000 names. Mm. Yeah. Well, one thing I found interesting in, in that is how the elves at the end uh, t- 
tell Sam that oh, if we had known that you were interested in this craft, we could we could have uh, taught you many things. Um, and I I it's another one of these surprising uh, little moments uh, of of warmth and just um, like the elves are welcoming, but you you feel like they are setting the the fellowship apart from them still while they they are here and. Here we get something that that says uh, the opposite. Like we could have taught you, and it's yeah, it's nice. It makes them a little bit more accessible. We could have taught you though. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't no, know. Because of the nature of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I I agree. I think I think they kind of get a bad rap. Of course, they they do see themselves as higher and more important, and that sucks. That's generally not a cool thing, but. I think there's more to them than they they commonly uh, they commonly are viewed as, and we get a cool boat party at the end here. That's fun. Yeah, a little, little pleasure cruise. As all the gifts are given out, um, mentioned the three hairs for Gimli, mm-hmm. and we get the rope for Sam and all that good stuff. The cloaks, just nice to get gifts and get new objects that you wonder as the story continues how they'll play in, which of course many of them do. Yeah. Yeah, um, and we get another like mumble scene with uh, Gimli and Galadriel because you know how audacious for a dwarf to ask for <laughs> a hair of her of her head. Everyone is it's wild shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, damn it! I I had a point. Uh, it's gone. Okay, we didn't really talk about the visions that they see in in the mirror. I guess we talked a bit about Sam's, um, but just just one of them, like the the Shire. Um, but we actually, when you when you know the rest of the story, we see quite a lot in these few visions. Um, like he sees a never ending stare, uh, never ending stares, and the feeling of looking for something or someone urgently. I'm gonna guess Frodo, but um, his pots and pans, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and Frodo also has uh, a few visions, including one of Gandalf as Gandalf the White. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, Lord Master Barley, can you explain some of uh? The visions that, that Frodo has, he's visions of the past, I think, like of things that have happened. What what is all that stuff? I actually don't. Know. Yeah, give me a second. All right, I'll like charge up. <laughs> Putting you on the spot right there. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's yeah, visions I of to know everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> it's visions of of the history of the ring or. Yeah, like it is. It is said a bit in 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 this part of the book, how being a ring bearer gives him not only, like, the immediate powers that you, you could think of, like, uh, he's invisible when he wears it, it's it's a bit more than that, like, he has, he sees, and not just as he sees further than anyone else, uh, but um, he's more perceptive of things. I did have that impression. I actually don't know if it's true, but it sounds true. Like that the vision CCs are all connected to the ring. Like it would make sense that that's what gives him kind of this sight into a lot of matters that um, other otherwise wouldn't, because of course he is a ring bearer. But I, w- I actually wasn't sure if that was what was going on. He's pulling out the books. 
Matt, we're right, ready so for I'm, you. I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, stuff's going on behind me. Um, so, yeah, basically he, he kind of gets a glimpse of um, Gandalf, but he's not sure. It's kind of like that same um, bait and switch that uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli get with, you know, they don't know Gandalf's yeah. white, so is it Saruman that they're watching, or is it Gandalf? They're not really sure. Um, they see, he sees what could happen with Gondor, and it kind of uh, goes up to Sauron's eye, and then the mirror starts bubbling and hissing, and the ring feels heavy, and then he has to tear himself away from it. There's a whole thing with like a, the, like with a guy sailing, like what yeah, was that? with a boat, like yeah. the black outline of a tall ship with torn sails riding up out of the west. That one, yeah. Then right. a, a so, right so river flowing through that, a popular that city. That is probably a Lendil uh, riding in after the uh, Doom of Numenor. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be Numenor related. Yeah. That's fun. I wonder why he sees that. So the white the white fortress with seven towers is is uh, Minas Tirith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would I would say so. Yeah, yeah. It just the seven towers specifically um, didn't ring any bells, but it it's probably said elsewhere in the book. I mean, that being said, it could be like um, was it Tyrion on Tuna and uh, the Undying. What is it? The fucking oh god, uh, my brain's not working today. Uh, the Lonely Isle. No, that's a stupid rap group. Fuck. What am I thinking of? That's <laughs> Are you thinking of Gondolin? No, no. no. It's a. Uh, it's like Aresia. Shit. It's an island off of Valinor that uh, the elves can go to to hang out and it was in sight of Numenor and by going past them that's what broke the ban of the uh of man and then uh the valor kind of kicked ass and Nauru sunk Numenor and bent the world shit happens you know yeah man don't piss off daddy yep not a good idea I guess oh I was curious about Limbus so this might be I don't know I don't know if you guys want to answer this, so if you don't, it's fine. We could just not go down this path. But I was curious, like, is something like Lembus where, like, it was it's a good, tasty food where you, you could eat a little bit of it and be be fulfilled nutritionally every day? Like, it's something you'd want to regularly eat? No. No, Lembus is, it's like magical cram or cat bread. Basically, yeah, it's a cram, yeah. uh, bread that, like, will last you long uh, long on journeys but like you need to, i mean like, look if, if you were looking to lose a little weight sure man all right it's like <laughs> a no. diet it's the limbus diet <laughs> i'm waiting i'm waiting for that future where they like take your food pill for the day and then don't eat you're like okay i can do right that. it's like that right it's but great. it's actually like a tasty food a nice elven food but like anything else it would you get old like really fast i i will say if deadpool uh, keep me from having to do the dishes and i having to cook for myself i'm all for it um, but in more normal times where I can go Thanks. out and stuff like that, um, I would probably not be a fan of that. But right now, let's like you switch it up. You know, you do a week on Lembus, then yeah. you go out <laughs> the next week. You know, some some weeks you just want to Lembus it up. 
Guys, cooking and eating is yeah. Like I do five days of lettuce, two days of pasta. I know, I know. It's like essential to your identity, Matt. So you would, you're you're a strictly <laughs> no lembus man. But some of us, like some some weeks, we just need a lembus week, you know? Yeah. Uh, you need to sit down with friends and you can't like chat around lembus. Get out of here. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But when you have to like, like these days, when when um, the evening arrives and I'm like, come on, do I need to to eat again? Like. This exactly. was this was like five hours ago, four hours ago, and I feel like that that just how many times do we have to do this every day? <laughs> so oh God. yeah, you can tell that I I'm I'm that a bit depressed. Totally uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, well, it's like people like Elon Musk that are like disgusted by their own biology. They're like, why do I have to shit every day? Like <laughs> this is inefficient. Like, why do I have to eat oh, every day? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just a bit tired of being alone in my flat, having to cook and f figure out, like, try new ideas. And, and yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I would go half and half. Some Lumbus times, some yeah. regular. I think I'm the same, because I love to eat in, in normal times. <laughs> yeah, just make yourself a big, like, uh, homemade thing of, like, ramen and dip your Lumbus right in there, you know, soften it up. <laughs> Mix them up. Get some really good jam. Spread that shit on. Some jam on there, yeah. A little <laughs> salty butter. Come on. <laughs> okay. Well, Matt, I think, I think you are ready to write a book of Lembus-based recipes. Uh, Perfect. We will all wait for that. I suck at baking, so any bread that I make would probably come out like hard Lembus bread anyway. <laughs> So has uh sorry I just thought of this. Uh, so Sam sees his old gaffer getting turned out of uh, Bag End. Um, has anyone watched Ted Lasso? Because they call the coach the gaffer, and that's the only other time I've ever seen or heard the word gaffer before. Ted Lasso. <laughs> First of I all, think, I need to I watch Ted Lasso. I've only ever heard that in sports. Um sports talk what does it mean what does it mean i thought it had been gardner or Wait, like is ground gaffer like in the credits of a movie do they have a gaffer right a, the, that's like that. the sound there's like a grip and a head boy there's all kinds of stuff in there i don't know i think you're right and like i know like you have a gaff when you fish and it's like a big hook that you like hook the fish in and bring it into the boat but like anyway that just well, i have to my i have to know now what it means all right look it up Share with the share with the uh, group. So yes, it is indeed the chief electrician in a motion picture or television production unit. So that's mm. an aspect. Yeah, there we go. I knew it was something. Also informally, an old man. Yeah, I huh? I'm also finding oh. the in in UK slang the, uh, the idea that it's it's the boss. Yeah, uh, I see that as a boss foreman. Yeah, which makes sense for for Sam and uh, yeah. You see, I, for Sam, I always thought it was like, more hey, like a name of This is crazy. So, how does it work in Ted Lasso's? Like, what is? How does it a thing with sports? No, it's the coach. He's the boss. Okay. okay. Football. Yeah. Okay. Also, so, I highly recommend Ted Lasso. It's yeah, I. Everyone seems to love it, so apparently I need to watch it. And the act, actor that plays Septa Nella is in it, and she is gorgeous. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so back to after Lembas talk and and the gaffer talk. Um, I mean, I don't know. We we didn't even 
uh, talk about the end uh, of this book. Oh, are we? Oh, so we're doing the full thing. Okay, I got some Great River and stuff. I, I don't know. Stuff. Yeah, we can we can maybe read another chapter summary nah, at some nah, point, we're, but we're I don't think it. I think we're past yeah, that. Everyone knows what happens in yeah. this part of the story. So they get in the wonky elvish canoes, and do we believe that Gollum was really able to make it through fucking Moria and Lothlorien without being caught? It, like it the is. Closest it, I it, got was Aragorn trying to catch him, like as they're traveling down the river. Like, how did the elves not catch him? That's that's crazy. Like, right? It's impossible that they didn't see him. <sighs> it is impressive. Aragorn makes a reference to that. Lorien, but he managed to find them outside of Lorien. Oh, that's right. That's right. So I don't know if Alex is fully audible for everyone, but yeah, basically, but I like, had... he skirted around Lorien, right? That's yeah. What... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's it. But um, it is impressive. Um, what what surprised me though is that I mean, not surprised me, but what felt weird is that no one um like uh, come on. Um, Frodo has been seeing and hearing him since Moria, um, and then Sam sees him, and at at no time did Aragorn think, okay, well, I will warn the company of of who is following us, so that I don't know they can be more more careful or just not be creeped out at the idea of two eyes following them. I, I don't know. Gollum himself himself is pretty creepy but it just i i feel like knowing who's following you is always better than being feeling the feeling of being followed without really knowing right i don't know especially with weird creepy eyes if it was like uh eugene the orc that motherfucker would be dead already like i don't understand like why like how is Gollum that good eugene the orc (laughs) (laughs) no i gotta i gotta get a whole story on eugene and what he was trying to pull off (laughs) He, he he makes uh, the orc version of Lembus. Uh, yeah, he's, he's like, well, he, that's what he wants to do. He wants to open a bakery, but it's not acceptable <laughs> in his culture. Yeah. Fucking Shagrat keeps on knocking yeah. him down a peg. Yeah, Shagrat is such a bully. Um, um, yeah, on Gollum. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to know that he exists. And I, he is like uh, that is the thing about Gollum, right? Is he is more competent than he seems. Like he is very. It's a good maneuver in the darkness. Very wily. Can Is he we... more competent, or does he just have plot armor? That he might have plot together. armor, and even there's a certain amount in the books where it's like, we could kill him, but we probably shouldn't, and, it, and they're right. <laughs> I think, yeah. is, isn't there also, like, I know he is no longer a ring bearer, but you always are a ring bearer in a way. So, so maybe he's also developed some kind of... St- I mean, strength and stealth that um, even the elves or Argon, like probably with time and and being only focused on on uh, capturing him, they would. But in in this instance, he's uh, he is stealthy enough to to be able to escape them. Yeah, maybe he has fate armor because you know Gandalf <laughs> says like his fate is mixed up with the fate of the ring too. So yeah. But I mean, Aragorn was able to capture him, you know, offset years ago. Yeah, but after years and years of looking for him and and trying, so. Yes, 39 years ago, his young Aragorn. Yeah, 
I do think you're right, though. I think you're right, though, Mary. And I think a part of it is just he's super old. He just has a lot of... <laughs> he's got a lot of street yeah. smarts over time. Fine, but, like, he knows all the little shortcuts and hiding. Yeah, he's figured all that stuff out. I think that's definitely an element. But I do like, and I think you get the indication of this as they're going down the river and, and we see, like, Frodo and Sam talking about Gollum and how they, like, don't want to bother with alluding Aragorn about this. Like, there's this sense, this kind of foreshadowing that... Gollum is going to be a unique problem for Frodo and Sam. Like he is, he is bound up in like their story. Like that's the connection. Whereas he's not going to be prominently involved with any other characters. I just think that that's a nice little setup there. That they're the ones that have to take responsibility for watching over him on the river, and then they'll have to take responsibility for dealing with him through the rest of the story from this this point onward. Yeah, on on that whole who's gonna do what when they get to the the falls and and the whole um, destruction of the fellowship, I I found uh, it was interesting to me to realize that it wasn't very clear from the beginning um, for everyone who would go where and who would keep going with Frodo, um, and especially Aragorn's own um, his own. Uh, uncertainty and the fact that he doesn't know he meant to go with Boromir but like he feels he he needs to go to Gondor and probably that's right but at the same time he feels um like it's his duty to to stay with Brodo now that Gandalf is gone um and this whole yeah what should I do uh brings another layer to the character I think because he's, he's very sure of himself for a lot of other things. And that's the part where we see him hesitating and not wanting to, to make a decision. I'm actually very impressed by Frodo in the in the confrontation and conversation he has with Boromir. Because I think he actually, at that point, when he's kind of gone through it in, in his mind... He has a really clear-eyed focus on what needs to happen. Like he needs to, he needs to go forward. He needs to head toward Mordor and do that alone. Uh, he doesn't really resolve on the alone part until after Boromir literally attacks him. But <laughs> he knows like that's the path he has to take. Um, and the thing that, and Sam notes this when he's talking to, I think Aragorn or just the party in general. Um, like it's not about Frodo not knowing what to do. It's just, he has to get over the fear of it. Cause it's truly terrifying. Like the path he has to take is for anyone. It's truly harrowing what he has to do. And he just needs, he needs a moment to gird himself, you know, <laughs> to get prepared for taking well, this path. Well, it's twofold, right? It's like the task is alone is hard enough, but to lead his friends into that difficult task sure, yeah. is what's really, you know, breaking him apart and what he needs to contemplate and, you know, gird himself to just take off and leave his friends and do this impossible thing. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know, just the way that he talks to Boromir about it, it's just like, I don't know, like he, 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 you can tell like he is so much more clear eyed about this than Boromir is, who is at that moment like totally consumed by this false idea of what needs to happen with the ring. And of course, he briefly goes insane as we, this is the, this is the defining Boromir moment that we all know where he tries to take the ring uh, and it doesn't work out for him. <laughs> but quickly, he his senses come back to him, and he returns, and he decides that he will help as the orcs arrive. And I think that is the like the the very quick redemptive moment. We don't actually see that all play out yet, but which I think surprises people, right? When they go back to these books, like at the end of this book, 
Boromir is still alive, and like none of that has played out yet. Right, right. I, th- I think. Takes... No, I was just gonna say I, I think that like his almost redemption is like really downplayed, uh, in the book until until, until they, they get to Minas Tirith, right, and they kind of go through like the explanation of like what happened to his boat, like the I don't know, like I feel like that's when it all comes together. Right, right. Or even when, you know, Pippin spills the beans to his father, like, it, exactly. it, it really was a sacrifice to save the hobbits that, you know, the orcs thought were the ones carrying the ring. Can't wait to get to Denethor and explain that he's not anything oh like God. what his... <laughs> oh, cherry tomatoes are still good, people. Don't oh. let Denethor ruin them for you. Oh, that's amazing. It's cherry tomatoes in English as well. I never, I never, I never thought of of the how you call that, um, but it's exactly the same in French, which was not necessarily the case. Awesome. Making a <laughs> note to ask about the etymology of cherry tomatoes. <laughs> Let's not go well, into. Look like cherries. Well. Yeah, who thought of that? Who was like, this is the word I need to use to describe a tiny tomato? <laughs> now, are they a recent invention? Because they seem like some weird, like agricultural manipulation yeah i agree <laughs> i actually don't know that i don't know but i agree that they seem like it um but we're not there yet so we're not at tomatoes. we're not we didn't hit the cherry tomato chapter yet no <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> definitely gonna be the title of an episode oh actually i don't know because i'm not doing any specific titles i've just been numbering them which is pretty lame <laughs> Oh well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think like the the other lasting thought I have on on this stuff is, and I again like this is such a repetitive thing for me to say, but I, it just hits stronger and stronger each each chapter we read. Um, but like, I think especially as we um, learn all of these like about all of these places as they're going down the river like all of these like things that used to be like i think for me the thing that makes lord of the rings different from other fantasy books and you 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 alluded to this earlier matt is like this idea that tolkien started with the language and the history those were the first impulses towards storytelling whereas with other stories it always feels like there was a clear effort to like of course and it's fine like this is a totally valid way to approach writing and storytelling but like they start with the story and then and then they populate the world with its history like they th- there's the clear effort like i need to fill this thing i've created with details and with history and with all these things that make it feel alive and i think there's some part of you in those cases where you can detect the artifice of it like that you can detect like there was an effort made to fill this with stuff yeah i mean um, that's with, that's why we yeah it just exists to me yeah i mean i, I think um I forget like who it was. It might have been a podcast of Ice and Fire, but uh, the, uh, one of the interviews that with the guy that wrote the Dothraki language, it's like he tries to do that, but in opposite. So he knows like the culture of like this horse, like kind of Mongol, like horde, like you know. So you know the sounds that they would make would be similar to like the animals that they're surrounded by and that they idolize, and like how would that like you know everything should be kind of like horse you know, related, like, uh, I think one of the things he, he said is like the, that, like the Inuit have like 30 words for snow or something like that. 
and it's just because each different kind of snow means something else like you know whether or not it's going to be like a bad storm or like heavy precipitation or you know like it just each word means something else even though it's just saying you know it's snowing out like it's not like you know, I, I can't even think like uh, the difference between a drizzle and a downpour or something. It's just raining, but like those two different words give you a sense of how much it's raining and what's it, what it's actually doing. Yeah. I think there's something just about when language is your first principle, like of create creation, like it just feels fuller in some way. I think, I don't know. I don't know why exactly, but just like when you, when that is the thing that is most important to you, everything else kind of falls into place in this way that feels a little, like, yeah. like, I mean, it's like the same with all of us, right? Like the first thing we all learn is language. I don't know. Like, so maybe there's something to that where like, once you have that, like once that's the first thing, like everything else just, I don't know, like the, it feels like the natural order of things. I, I don't know that it feels fuller, fuller, because it also feels a bit, uh, to me at least still, uh, I love this books, but it, it still feels uh, very, far away from me uh, but that's also due to a lot of other things in the storytelling but it's definitely it's definitely very clear that the world is there before the story and not the other way around and that's that's the reason why we call um we call world building world building like the that feeling that the author is is building the world and giving us clues and details of its history it's very different here than than it is like like you were saying that you in, in books where you feel the purpose of trying to pour details into the the stories they've created and i think i think that's a good point and i think that um each approach has its merits like i do think there's a certain risk with this approach where I'm, you I'm, become so obsessive with the, the the details, like you don't. The story becomes less important in a way, like it's not the central focus. Like it, it's all a question of focus. Like what is the most important thing that you're trying to leverage in whatever thing you're creating? Yeah, I don't actually know if if I've read anything that resembles the the Lord of the Rings. Uh, really, like it's very specific in in mm -hmm. in the writing, and I don't know if it's the times as well, because. It's also probably one of the oldest books I've read in fantasy, obviously. Um, yeah. So, like Frankenstein, I guess, sort of. Yeah, but like, and even it, not not only is it one of the oldest books, it's it's also there's a big gap between The Lord of the Rings and and what I've read. Um, that's closer to us. There's the I don't I can't think of many books in between, uh, in between A Song of Ice and Fire and 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 the Lord of the Rings, and I do think that uh, there's really a gap. Um, well, yeah. there, I mean, there there's a ton of them. Yeah, I and, I assume I just and, wasn't born, okay. <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's just a ton of them. But they're just not good, you know. Like there's you know there's dwarves and elves and like a lot of uh, fantasy paperbacks and stuff like that that just never work themselves out to be any mm -hmm. good. You know, there's a lot of shit out there um, to get fantasy that envelops the reader and introduces them to a world that seems like something that is worth exploring and something interesting. That's, I think, you know, the difference between like a Lord of the Rings and, uh, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire compared to, 
you know. Are you going to throw out some names? Are you going to name it? Oh, yeah. What, what's that fucking book that um, Mikhail made us read? Uh, oh, no. no, no dude. Oh. <laughs> what, 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 what was it? <laughs> it's the, the Queen's Thief. I haven't read it. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Oh, my God. Just awful. Anyway. But so, <laughs> so, you know, you can take fantasy worlds and, like, live in them and, you know, give certain people and races certain powers. But, like, you know. It yeah, it's not the same thing. Doesn't work all the yeah. time. Yeah, and I think that's also what what Zach was saying when when you said that um, this is a risky way of of writing a book, probably more risky than than going from the characters and and the and the intrigue, uh, which might feel more natural and like you have more possibilities than going from from the the world uh, itself. Yeah, you'd have to be pretty, pretty determined to write in this fashion today, and to have confidence that anyone would want to publish you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I think that's part of what what makes it special is that it wasn't necessarily written with that in mind, too. Like it wasn't like this is something that people will read and love. Yeah. Like it wasn't like there wasn't that direct intention to it. Perhaps I don't know. Like I, I think we don't really. I think that might be giving it too much credit, but I think um, there, there's certainly something different about it than other fantasy. I would say like, I think that's a, I think that's fair enough to say. Yeah. That. And I think like the success of the Lord of the Ring movies, like really opened up a world where a lot of people tried it. And many, like, you know, I think like, I love the Joe Abercrombie, you know, um, the, what's the fucking world that he. First law. Yeah, first law trilogy and those books. Like, I love that world, and I really enjoyed uh, the first trilogy and the second couple of books after the trilogy. Third book, not so much, but um, I feel like I for got, every success, uh, the red, red, red thief or something, the red something, red country. Yes. Um, but like, I feel like that was just an outlier of people that were like emboldened to try to you know create their fantasy worlds that just didn't pan out in the end you know and then game of thrones comes out and it's you know another whole group of people that are probably going to try it too that's just the nature of the creative beast you know some people <laughs> rise to the top and there might be good things out there that haven't gotten their fair shake too like there's a certain amount of luck and opportunity that comes with like the things that become big and popular and this is a certain amount too like that they are genuinely really good Go yeah i i've i've read a few books in in french actually recently in french fantasy which is pretty rare uh that i'm i'm gonna try and look if they've been um translated into english i i think some of them might have because that would be a nice change to uh introduce you to some french literature <laughs> um but there were a few very good ones um and and different to to the um british and american fantasy i guess um so i try to have a look yeah i feel like uh Right now, of course, like the dollar signs are really pushing people along too, because every network saw the success of Game of Thrones and you know stuff like uh, the Last Kingdoms doing okay on Netflix, and they're trying to recreate this historic fiction or you know quasi-historic fantasy kind of stuff. Um, so 
they're probably enticing writers to write a lot of shitty things that yeah. probably don't <laughs> make it to pilot. I'm actually I'm watching The Last Kingdom right now. Have any of you seen that? Show? I've read the books and I haven't seen it. I the feel books like the books would be way better. Like the show is so fast. I, I like I like the show, but yeah, it, it's uh, fun. Yeah, but I feel it like, like it's kind of like it's become yeah. abbreviated in the last few seasons. I think it's just so. like like I don't have time to get to know the characters before I, like <laughs> either we move on from them or whatever. Yeah, you're yeah. like how how much has this guy aged? Because like that character I think was that like, too. A yeah, child, a weird thing. And now they're an adult. It's like a thirty year period, and the guy looks the same. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> like Vikings, um, I think does a little better job with that. Yeah, uh, Zach, I definitely recommend you read the books. Um, yeah, I think excellent. I will, yeah. And he just released the last one, so it's a done series. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need to read yeah, to yeah, read the new fantasy books. You, you won't get his great accent. That <laughs> comes and goes. Yeah. Guys, I'm gonna close out officially the episode, I think, because we are varying away yeah. from. Uh, the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we we can we can keep chatting a bit uh, about fantasy in general, and that that might make the after show if I have the courage of editing it. Um, but let me just yes. uh, close out things, unless anyone has anything else on these uh, group of chapters. So uh, just uh, one last thing uh, to kind of uh, go with what Zach was saying about you know things kind of uh, decaying and stuff like that. The Argonath. Like, yeah, I don't think you, like, I always thought it was cheesy when they describe it as, you know, the two kings with their hands out denying the evil of the north or whatever from entering their realm. And, like, later on you see, like, the Pukulmen statues and just think, like, how that kind of scares people still. Like, it, it, you know, what did the Argonauts do back in the day? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I love that. And Actually, I like inspiring that. fear like that. I like the uh, Amun La and Amun Hen. Um, what is it? The Hills of Sight and Hearing. And uh, I also want to name my first chicken coop Amun Hen. That's good. Your first chicken coop. I love that too. Among many to be. Sure. <laughs> I was like, he's not going to say his first son, is he? <laughs> no, I like to name my first son Amun. <laughs> Why not? Why not? The first pig will be named John Ham, and that is actually. I I will remark on this briefly. The moment where Frodo climbs the hill and looks out and sees all this stuff—that's actually one of my favorite moments in the whole series. I just love that. I think it's. I don't know. Just like, it's so such a good like leaping point off of the next stage in the journey. I just. I don't know why it resonates so strongly with me, but it does. Yeah, and why does it work so well in the books where, like, the movies, they really needed to have Aragorn there to be tempted by the ring momentarily, but then, like, kind of separate himself? Well, it's, it's getting in his head and, like, going through all the stuff he's seeing from his perspective. I think you just can't quite communicate that in a visual medium to the same degree. I think that's why. Yeah. I do think that there are some things, like the Argonath, that are very well... Uh, depicted in the in the movies and that works very well uh, and other things just don't work as well because you just can't have the same rush of words and feelings yeah i feel like the argonaut in the movies was just amazing yeah. <laughs> it was just so impressive um and I, uh, you know, we kind of glanced over that but uh the the fact that uh 
Aragorn, you know, kind of visibly changes from like the ranger in the north to like, you know, the possible king of men when he passes under it. And, you know, everyone notices uh, that's pretty moving. And then he kind of goes back into this like ranger from the north. Oh, no, what do my decisions do? Like, you know, everything I do is wrong. Kind of that self-doubt. I love that thing in these books where people could just transform into different people briefly <laughs> like yeah. Gandalf does that and Aragorn does that even Frodo so, does right yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's like a light through Frodo like which might be a real thing I don't know like just more confidence and stature like in a moment kind of thing it can really transform how you're viewed it's crazy how that works yeah it's like uh when when guys put on like tuxedos or something no matter what kind of <laughs> Fucking scummy dirtbag you are. You always look good in tux, man. Well, you look better, usually. <laughs> true that, true that. Okay. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I'm sorry that this is the first one I've been able to do with you guys. It took so long. It's uh, it, it's fine. It was a pleasure to have you for this one. I'm hoping that you will join us for many more. So, everyone, this has been uh, the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, so, this was the beginning of a journey. We still have two books to go. And as a friend said to me uh, earlier this week, he said, Whoa, well, if you think you're, you're going slowly now, wait until you are in the swamps in book two. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be um, a nice moment. To, Don't to, worry, yeah. we still have a whole half of a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, the whole a whole book with only Gollum and Sam and Frodo. Yeah. Ouch. Yes, that's the worst part in the whole series. <laughs> we, we might do that in in one episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for for coming on this journey with me for the for this first book, and uh, I guess we will see you uh, for book two uh, for. Two towers soon enough. Thank you, Adam, Matt, Alex, and Zach, for being uh, my co hosts today. This has been a fun discussion. Have a nice evening. It was nice talking to you, and uh, we'll see each other soon. I'm assuming. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Nice talking to everyone. Yeah. Cheers. Bye.